Good morning, church. So very good to see you this morning. You know, every week, of course, I tell you that I love and appreciate you, and that is a good example of what my 13-year-old son, Malachi, calls annoying nice. (laughs) Somewhere between nice and annoying, apparently there's a line, and he thinks I'm constantly crossing that line. Um, Other examples of annoying nice are things like waving at people as I'm driving in the car that I don't know. He thinks that's annoying nice. Pretty much any time I, I talk to a stranger, annoying nice. When we're out looking at Christmas lights, we like to roll down the window and wish people a Merry Christmas. That's super annoying nice, so he doesn't like that. What he doesn't understand, I don't know that either of the don't tell them this, but when, when you become a parent... Something in your DNA changes and you realize it's your job to annoy your children, right? <laughs> I don't know what exactly that is. But, but honestly, they're the only people that I enjoy annoying. I, I, don't, I don't generally like to annoy people. You're probably the same way, right? I mean, we don't intentionally annoy people usually, and if we annoy people, we try to, to stop annoying them. If somebody tells us that we're annoying them, we, we sort of back off whatever it is that we were doing or saying. And I think maybe that's one of the reasons that sharing our faith in Jesus can be really difficult, because we don't want to annoy anybody. And sharing our faith with people can be super annoying. In fact, in fact, I'll just be super honest that the gospel sometimes annoys me when I, when I really think about this reality that Jesus has brought into existence. It kind of annoys me. And I know sometimes it annoys all of us who believe that it's true. It can still be annoying. How much more so for people in the world who don't believe that it's true. And somewhere deep inside, in the back of our mind, we know that. And we know that if we share the gospel with people, it very well might annoy someone. And we live in a world where we kind of tune things out when they annoy us, don't we? If something is, is annoying, if it's, if it's a message that we don't really want to hear, if it makes us uncomfortable, if we don't like the implications of it, we turn it off, we change the channel, we, we unfriend someone, we block them, we say, I don't want to hear that. That annoys me. But, but just because something is annoying doesn't mean that it's not true. Just because something is annoying doesn't mean that it doesn't need to be said. Just because something is annoying doesn't mean that it it doesn't need to be heard. Sometimes I need to hear things even though they annoy me. And sometimes I need to say something even if it might annoy someone else. And so even though I think it's generally a good rule, don't be annoying, I think that's generally a good rule. Sometimes there's some exceptions to that. And sometimes we need to listen to things that make us uncomfortable. We need to listen to things that challenge us. We need to listen to things that annoy us because it it very well might be true. 
And sometimes we need to have the courage and the boldness to speak things and to share things, even though the people with whom we're sharing them might be a little annoyed that we're sharing it. The gospel very well might annoy us sometimes, and it very well might annoy others sometimes, but it still needs to be listened to, and it still needs to be shared. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in Acts chapter 4, and this is right after what we read last week, the, the man who was born unable to walk, who's middle-aged, and he was carried to the temple to beg for money from people. He was healed by the name and the power of Jesus. And here's what we read in Acts chapter 4 and verse 1. And as Peter and John were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly, here's our word, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. Now, just kind of sit with that for a second. Why were they annoyed? Why were they annoyed? It wasn't because Peter and John were saying that Jesus was murdered. It wasn't because they were being accused of murder necessarily. It was because of, Luke says, it's because they were proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. Not just that Jesus was resurrected, but that Jesus was going to bring about the general resurrection of the dead. That Jesus was going to bring dead people back to life. And the, the powers that be in the temple were Sadducees. And the Sadducees did not believe that there was going to be a resurrection. They did not believe that's how the story was going to end. Now, I don't want to spend a whole lot of time talking about the Sadducees, but I do want us to acknowledge this, that this is why the gospel annoys people. Sharing the gospel annoys people because if it's believed it will always disrupt the status quo. Sharing the gospel annoys people. It annoyed people in the first century. It annoys people in the 21st century because if it's believed, if people believe the gospel, it will always, not sometimes, not most of the time, not depending on where it's shared, but it will always disrupt the status quo. I mean, think about what is the status quo? It's just... The way things normally are done. And everybody lives their life by a certain narrative, by a certain story, don't they? Everybody. We just kind of go about our little lives and, and we're telling ourselves a story. Who am I? Who are my people? What am I doing? What are my goals? Well, what am I risking? What do I hope to achieve? What does success look like? What are some of the obstacles? We're, we're telling ourselves a story. We're living by a narrative. And as long as everybody's sort of living by a similar narrative and we're all saying, okay, this is who I am. This is who we are. This is what we're doing. This is what we're hoping to achieve. Here are our goals. Here's what success looks like. Here's what failure looks like. Here's some of our obstacles. And we're all just kind of going about our little lives, telling ourselves these stories, living by a narrative and a story that sort of makes sense of everything. And that's what we do, isn't it? We all have a narrative, a story that makes sense of everything. And based on that story and that narrative, we construct a status quo. 
just the way things are normally done and everybody sort of goes about their lives. And then along comes the good news about Jesus. This story, this new narrative, this new reality, this new truth, and it says, uh, whoa, 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 hold on. You're going to have to redefine everything in your narrative. Who you think you are? Who are your people? What are your goals? What does success look like? What does failure look like? What are the obstacles? What are the risks? What are the challenges? Who are the enemies? All of this has to be redefined in light of the true narrative, the story about Jesus, the good news about Jesus. And it challenges everybody's narrative. Everybody's narrative is challenged by the gospel. And it disrupts everybody's status quo. The Sadducees, they didn't like this story about Jesus. It disrupted their status quo. Whoever believed this story, now the temple and the sacrifices and even the law itself were being decentralized and now everything is centered on Jesus. It disrupted the Sadducees' status quo. It disrupted the Pharisees' status quo. If we preach the gospel in America, it, it disrupts conservative American status quo. It disrupts progressive American status quo. It disrupts the status quo everywhere it is believed. And that's why it's so annoying. Because it says you're going to have to redefine who you think you are. You're going to have to redefine where you think you're going. You're going to have to redefine what you think success looks like. You're going to have to redefine what you think failure looks like. You're going to have to redefine who your people are. You're going to have to redefine everything in your life. And everywhere that the good news of Jesus is preached, it disrupts the status quo. And especially those who are in charge of the status quo and those who benefit from the status quo, it makes them uncomfortable. It's annoying to them because now things are going to get real unpredictable. Now, what is this going to look like? And what is this going to mean? And things were going okay. And I, I like the way things were. But if this is true or whether or not this is true, even if it's believed, everybody who believes this, their narrative is going to change. Their story is going to change. But if it's true, if it's true, if Jesus really is king, if Jesus really is reigning over heaven and earth, if Jesus really is the firstborn from the dead, if he's going to really raise all of the dead back to life and all of his people are going to live forever, if these things are true, then forget the status quo. I want truth, don't you? And so I'm willing to redefine my narrative. I'm re willing to redefine my story, even if it disrupts my own status quo or the status quo of those around me. Look at verse 3. So they arrested them, Peter and John, and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. See, this is, this is why we're calling this year's theme unstoppable, because that's what happens in the book of Acts. The gospel is unstoppable. 
They arrested Peter and John, and, and the people that heard the message, they didn't say, oh, oh okay, well, this is going to get people arrested. I don't want any part of that. They said, this is true. This is true. And I believe it. And their numbers grew by the thousands because it was true. See, you can, you can arrest Christians. You can put Christians in prison. You can kill Christians. But you cannot stop Jesus from succeeding. Isn't that what Jesus said? He says, upon the rock of his identity, he was going to build his church and the gates of Hades would not prevail against it. You cannot stop Jesus and his people because the gospel is truth. And even if it disrupts things, even if it turns the whole world upside down, even if people have to rethink their whole reality, even if they have to think their identity and rethink their community and rethink what they're pursuing, it will not and cannot be stopped. And so even though they throw Peter and John in prison, their numbers grew to about 5,000. Verse 5, and on the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Of course, they're talking about the man that's been healed. By what, by what power, by what name, who gave you permission to do this? What power are you tapping into? Who do you answer to? What's your story? And of course, Peter's like, well, I'm glad you asked, right? I'm glad you asked. I, I've been waiting to tell you about this. Verse 8, Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. Now, notice that this is the third time that Peter has sort of proclaimed the gospel, isn't it? The first on the day of Pentecost, and then after he'd healed this man, and now before the, the Jewish council, the Sanhedrin. And, and the message is very similar. Jesus is the Christ. Now, we, we say Jesus and Christ so often together that sometimes we think that's his last name, and it's not. That's his title. Jesus is God's anointed king. That's what Christ means. God anointed Jesus as king. Jesus is the Christ. You crucified him, and God raised him from the dead, right? Jesus is the king. You killed him, and God raised him from the dead. And then he points to the man who's been healed and said, I give you exhibit A, right? Right here, here's exhibit A. You want to know? You want some proof? You want some evidence that Jesus really is the king of the world? You want some evidence that even though you put him to death, God has raised him from the dead? You want evidence that he's powerful? You want evidence that he's unstoppable? I give you exhibit A. This man standing right here in front of you, this is evidence and proof that Jesus really is who he always claimed that he was. 
Jesus really is who we are proclaiming that he is. This is the new reality. Get used to it because it's never, never going to change. Get used to this new reality that Jesus is in charge of the world because it's never going to change. Get used to the kingdom of God. Get used to the kingdom of heaven because it's here to stay. And you can either keep working against it and fighting against it or you can get on board. But this man standing in front of you is evidence that Jesus really is who he says that he is. Verse 11, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Now, now notice what Peter is implying here. He's saying not only did this man need to be saved, and that was obvious, right? That man knew that he needed to be saved. As he lay there every day by the temple gate and and begged for money, he knew he needed salvation. He knew he needed help. He knew he needed rescuing. He knew he needed healing. But so many people don't know that. And certainly the rulers of the Jewish people, they didn't know that they needed saving. That was news to them. That wasn't part of their narrative. They weren't sitting there every day saying, I wish somebody would save us. They were thinking that they were the answer to people's problems. But Peter says, we, as a people, we need saving. Everyone needs saving. And there is only one name under heaven by which we must be saved. Not only did this man need to be saved by the name of Jesus, not only was he given the power to walk by the name of Jesus, but you need saving in the name of Jesus. And there is only one name by which we must be saved. It isn't the high priest. It isn't Moses. It's Jesus. He is the only one who can save us. He's the only one who can free us. He's the only one that can heal us. And do you see how that means your narrative has to change? And again, the status quo doesn't really work very often if we sit around thinking, I need to be saved, I need to be healed, I need to be fixed. No, we have a story and a narrative by which we think, no, everything's working fine. Everything's going fine. We're just chugging along and everything's going well, except for those for whom things aren't going well. And they know. These are always the people that are most receptive to to the gospel. The people who know the status quo isn't working. I need saving. This doesn't work. Who I think I am and who I think my people are and where I think I'm going and what I think I'm doing, this isn't working. I need something else. But those that think everything is Everything's going along fine. Don't mess with it. Don't mess with the good thing. Don't don't rock the boat. Don't shake things up. They get rather annoyed when you suggest that they need saving. You need saving. You need fixing. You need help. You need healing. And no other name, by no other name is this going to happen except by the name of Jesus. You see why that annoys people and disrupts people. And rocks the boat. Verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. And perceived that they were uneducated common men. 
they were astonished and they recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. Read that one more time. They had nothing to say in opposition. And see, this is a common theme throughout the entire book of Acts. Here's what the church does. The church preaches the good news about Jesus and does good works. And over and over again, as Paul and the other apostles would write to the churches, that's what they would encourage them to do. Preach the good news, share the good news, stand on the good news, hold on to the good news, celebrate the good news, praise God in the good news, and do good works at And have nothing that our enemies can say in opposition to us. There was nothing else they could accuse them of. Oh, they would love to have done that, right? Oh, well, you've done this, and you've done this, and you've done this, and you've done this. But they they kept their behavior blameless. See, the church's credibility depends on one another. And this is why this has to be the way we live our lives is so that our enemies, even when they would love to be able to say, oh yeah, but no, oh, we, we don't give them ammunition. Do good works, preach the good news. And this is what the church continues to do. It doesn't mean that they were perfect, but it means that this, this, this is what we stand on. This is what we make known. This is the hill we die on. Not any other hill. This is the hill we die on. This is the message we proclaim. This is what we live out. The good works of Jesus and the good news of Jesus so that our opponents have no legitimate accusations to level against us. And every time that the apostles were arrested and every time they wanted to punish them, and even Jesus himself, when Jesus was arrested, there was no legitimate accusation to level against him or against his people. Verse 15, but when they had commanded them to leave the council, step out, they conferred with one another saying, what should we do with these men? For that a notable sign has been performed through them is evident to all the inhabitants of Jerusalem and we can't deny it. But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. Now, now notice, they didn't say, they're having this little side meeting. What are we going to say? Everybody knows this guy's been healed. Everybody knows what's happened. We can't deny it. We wish we could, but we can't deny it. See, it's interesting that they're not even debating whether or not it's true. That's what they should have been asking themselves. Is this true? Is it possible that Jesus really is the Messiah, and yet we put an innocent man to death, and not only an innocent man, but we put God in the flesh to death, and that he's been exalted to the right hand of the Father, and he's reigning over heaven and earth. Is that possible that that's true? But that's not what they were talking about. What they were talking about is, how do we keep this from spreading? How do we keep people from believing this? Because again, if people believe this, it's going to disrupt the status quo. Everything that we have and know, it's going to make everything unpredictable. We don't know what the Romans are going to do if people start believing this. We don't know what's going to happen to the economy if people start believing this. We don't know what's going to happen to our safety if people start believing this. We don't know what's going to happen to our way of life if people start believing this. And so our goal is to stop 
people from talking about it. Not, I, I, we can't stop them from believing it. They, they don't even have a conversation about how do we change their minds? Can we change Peter and John's mind? Can we help them to understand that they can't believe this stuff? They don't want to change their minds. They just want them to keep it to themselves. You can believe that if you want to. You can think that if you want to. You can have that in your heart if you want to. You can have that in your mind if you want to. But don't talk about it because it annoys everybody and it disrupts everything and you're rocking the boat. Just don't talk about it. And again, we live in a world like that, don't we? We live in a world like that, not only where unbelievers might tell us that, but where we might even tell each other that. Oh, you can, you can have your religion, you can have your faith, you can believe in Jesus, but just kind of keep that between you and God. Just kind of keep that to yourself. That's nobody else's business. That doesn't really pertain to anybody else. That's just your personal faith. Just keep it to yourself. That, that's what the council wanted the apostles to do. You can keep believing this if you want to, but you just can't talk about it. Just keep it as a private matter between you and God. Don't share it with anybody else. So here's their plan. That's their plan, is to tell, people, tell them you just can't talk about this anymore. Verse 18, so they called them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. See, that's the thing with the gospel. If you believe it, you have to share it. If you believe it, you have to share it. You can't keep quiet about it, and believe it. You can either believe it or keep it a secret, but you can't do both. You can either believe it or keep it a secret, but you can't do both. If you really believe it, you can't help but share it. We've, we've seen all of this stuff, Peter says. We've, we've heard all of this stuff. We've experienced all of this stuff, and you can tell us whatever it is you want to tell us, you can warn us and charge us and command us and cajole us. You can, you can say whatever you want, but we can't help it. We have to talk about it. We can't keep our faith to ourselves when sharing our faith is central to our faith. Sharing the gospel is central to the gospel. So many people would rather us just... Keep that as a private matter. That's between you and God. And see, that's where they misunderstand. That's where we misunderstand. The gospel isn't about me and God. The gospel is about God and everybody. The gospel is about everybody on the face of the earth. The gospel is about everybody who has ever lived. And so it's central to our faith, to share our faith. There might be some faiths or some religions or some beliefs that you can believe them and keep them to yourselves. The gospel just isn't one of those kinds of things. If you believe it, you have to share it. You can't believe it and keep it a secret. Imagine, imagine this. Imagine if there was, I wish this was true, but it's probably not, but imagine that there was somebody in Collin County that had so much money 
so much money and just wanted to give away their money. I mean, just had so much that they wanted to give every resident of Collin County a million dollars. That would be amazing, wouldn't it? If you live in Collin County, this person wants to give you a million dollars. Now, if you believed that that was true, you would not only take advantage of it, but you, you couldn't help but share it. If you really believed it, right, and you knew someone else, especially someone you knew and loved that was struggling and hurting and couldn't pay their bills, and you said, I, well, I hope that works out for you, and you kept this news about somebody that could take care of their problem, you kept it to yourself, that would be pretty good evidence that you didn't really believe that it was true. Because if you believed that it was true, you would share it with them. You can either believe it or you can keep it a secret, but if you keep it a secret, you probably don't really believe it. The gospel is one of those kinds of things. It's for everybody. It changes everything. It disrupts everything, and it kind of annoys us sometimes, but it's true. It causes everybody to rethink, who am I? Who are my people? Where am I going? What am I doing? What is life all about? Why is any of this important? What does success look like? What does failure look like? And yes, it's challenging to have to rethink all of those things, but it gives us life and hope and forgiveness and reconciliation with God. It's the answer to live forever to be raised from the grave and live forever with one another and God. And if that's true, and we believe that it's true, we can't help but speak about what we've seen and heard. You can either believe it or you can keep it a secret, but you can't do both. Because sharing our faith is central to our faith. And there's going to be plenty of people today, just like in the first century, who say, listen, Christians... And maybe even listen, brother or sister, just, just kind of keep it, keep your faith to yourself. Keep your beliefs to yourself. It disrupts too much. It rocks too much. It annoys too much. Just keep it to yourself. But what we have to embrace and realize is that if we really believe that this is true, we can't keep it to ourselves. We can't keep our faith to ourselves when sharing our faith is central to our faith. And of course, now the question is, what, what will we do with that truth? What will we do with that reality? If we believe it, not only do we embrace it and we, we center our whole lives on it, but then we think through, who else needs to hear this? Who else needs to hear this? Because you have friends and you have neighbors, and you have coworkers and classmates. And yes, yes, it might annoy them for you to bring Jesus up in casual conversation. But isn't it, isn't it worth it to risk maybe annoying them for a minute and change their life for eternity? To share this reality with them about how they can live forever in Jesus? Let's be willing to be like Peter and John 
And say, listen, I understand. I understand why you want us to keep this to ourselves. I understand why you want us to keep quiet about it. I understand why you want us to keep it a secret. But we can't help speaking about what we've seen and heard. Can we imagine the way Collin County would change if we all embraced this attitude? If we all went out into the world this week and said, we can't help speaking about Jesus. We can't help sharing our faith because sharing our faith is central to our faith. If there's anyone here this morning or anybody watching online and you need prayers or encouragement or you're ready to be baptized into Jesus and begin this life in him, if we can help you in any way, now's a great opportunity to respond as together we stand and sing.